Well, we can turn back to the chapter you read there, Nehemiah chapter 3, and we'll think about one or two features that are mentioned in this chapter. I suppose um, most of us, when we come across a list of genealogies in the Bible, uh, we might tend to skip over it. Or even if we do start reading it, it becomes similar to scanning a telephone directory. And we jump over it until we find perhaps what we're looking for. I suppose there's problems with doing that with regard to genealogies in the Bible. And one reason is because there's quite a lot of them. I mean, they recur all, all over the place. Although it has been pointed out, and I think this is quite interesting, that after Jesus is born, there's no more genealogies. Now that's uh, the, the, almost the one that the human race was waiting for. He has arrived. Some of the genealogies, of course, have got hints in them of what life was like in the early church. In Romans chapter 16, there's a list of names. Also a list of what they do in their houses. And on three or four occasions, the church and their house is mentioned. So obviously these individuals um, used their property or Christians to meet in because there was no such thing as church buildings in those days and Paul as he writes that chapter in Romans 16 he just wants to indicate that he's aware he wrote that book from Corinth that he's aware that they meet in certain people's houses I suppose when we read that we should say to ourselves how did Paul know that? I mean, Collins was nowhere near Rome, so how did Paul know that? So that tells us there's communication going on that we might imagine wasn't possible away in those ancient times. Because I have no idea what Christians in Rome, where they meet today, I suspect that most of you don't know either. But Paul knew. And um, so there's lots of sort of surprises in all these lists that are mentioned. There in Chronicles, we're aware, of course, aren't we, of the amazing prayer of Jabez, where he asked God to bless him. There in a list of genealogies. A book was published several years ago about the prayer of Jabez. But I wonder if someone said to us, in which chapter is that reference? What would we say? There's other intriguing things in genealogies, as I'm sure we know. I mean, the four women, for example, who are mentioned in the genealogy of Jesus by Matthew. Why does he mention them? 
because as far as every man was concerned in the genealogy, they all were, were married. But why does he just mention four of them? And going back to the genealogy in Romans 16, what, what did Paul mean when he said regarding Priscilla and Aquila that all the churches of the Gentiles gave thanks for them? What did they do that caused such a global response? So in genealogies, it can be things of interest. As we look at this particular genealogy here, what thoughts should come into our minds? Well, I suppose one could be to ask, are they in heaven? Isn't that a question to ask? To have your name mentioned in God's word. And are they in heaven? I suspect they are. Because what they did in the chapter, the desire for doing it, came from heaven. Anyway, I want us to think of six things. And then um, a few applications. Six things are a plan, then pleasure, then people who's mentioned, priorities, progress, and then peculiarities. Plan. Don't know if you thought that when we were reading it that there was much of a plan on the list. But there is a plan. And we can work out the plan by the references to the gates. And, for example, in verse 1 and verse 32, the sheep gate is mentioned. Verse 1 is the start of the wall. Verse 32 is the end of the wall. So that tells us that the wall was circular, that it just went round. And they ended up, they started at the sheep gate and they went round and round until they came back to the sheep gate. So they had a plan. It was a circular one. Of course, Nehemiah in the previous chapter, he had gone out and surveyed the city. And here we have the answer to his surveying, that he noted where they should start and where they should finish. I don't know if you noticed how many gates there actually are in the chapter. But between verses 1 and verse 32, in addition to the sheep gate, there's nine other gates mentioned. Fish gates in verse 3, the gate of Yishanas in verse 6, the gate of the ovens in verse 12, the gate of the valley in verse 13, the dung gate in verse 14, fountain in 15, the water gate in 27, horse gate in 28, and the east gate in 29. 
and every one of them, the Holy Spirit put it there. That means there's ten gates in this chapter. In chapter 12, verse 39, there's two other gates mentioned. The gate of Ephraim and the gate of the guard. So that means that we have here is a city with a wall and with 12 gates. And a man building it. Where else does that happen in the Bible? How about the book of Revelation, chapter 21? The New Jerusalem with a high wall and 12 gates. And somebody's building it. Because the New Jerusalem is not a picture of heaven. It's a city that comes down from heaven. It's the church. And who's building the church? Jesus. Of course, the contrast between Nehemiah and Jesus is that Nehemiah built gates to close them. But in the heavenly city, the gates are never closed. But there must be a connection, mustn't there, between this description of the city that Nehemiah built. And remember, he built it after weeping over the mess it was in. And Jesus, I mean, he's building his city. And like Nehemiah, he's got a plan. And his plan has just been worked out. And one day, we'll see the finished city. But as we sang in Psalm 87, the city at the moment is a work in progress. But it's good to be in a city in which the gates are always open. That's the plan. Simple plan, wasn't it? Just join all the gates together and build the wall. Secondly, pleasure. Who got pleasure from the wall? I'm sure we know that the Great Wall of China can be seen from outer space. If you're up there in a space station, you can look down and see the Great Wall of China. Part of the Great Wall of China was in existence when Nehemiah built his wall. There was nobody up in a space station back then to look down on it. But I suspect there was somebody looking down with pleasure as Nehemiah built the wall. And it gave to the onlooker far more pleasure than the ones building the Great Wall of China. And of course, the one looking down, getting pleasure from this wall, was God himself. Every brick they put into it 
every bar, every bolt. He observed it, and it gave him immense pleasure. In fact, it pleased him so much that he kept repeating it in this account in Nehemiah chapter 3. One after the other, we're told, we just put the bolts in and the bars. And God could have said, they all did it in one verse. He didn't do it that way. He highlighted the contribution of everyone, or at least of most of them. So God takes pleasure. And if there are degrees of pleasure in God, he gets much more pleasure from the building of the current wall and gates of the current city than he did when Nehemiah built his small wall. There's only one organization, you want to put it that way, that gives God pleasure in the world. And that's his church. His city. And he notes everything. Even cups of cold water. So it's good to know we're giving God pleasure. And then thirdly, people. What's heaven all about? With the various beauties of the place. The residences are what matter. What was important about this wall in Nehemiah's time? The residents. The participants. And we're told about who some of them were, what they did. We're told about the priests and the Levites, the religious people. But we're also told about some who were goldsmiths and perfumers and merchants. What's the point of telling us in the year 2022 that somebody was a perfumer? Well, the only answer I can give to that question is it mattered to God. And although this... um, Incident that's happened thousands of years ago. God records that so and so was a perfumer there in verse 8. One of the perfumers. God noticed what that person did. There's also, they're from different places. God takes note of where they came from. Some came from Jericho. Jericho, of all places, the place of the curse. But there they were, some from Jericho were there, uh, helping to build the city wall. There's some there from Mizpah, and there's some there from Tekoa. Come back to Tekoa in a minute. Because what is said about the people of Tekoa is both challenging and disturbing. 
But perhaps you didn't notice what was said about the inhabitants of Tekoa as we read it. There's effort assessed. There in verse 13 we're told about the inhabitants of Sanoa who repaired the valley gate and then they rebuilt it and set its doors, its bolts and its bars and repaired a thousand cubits of the wall. That thousand cubits is between a third and a quarter of the entire wall. That one group of people, they did all that. And God noticed. Women are mentioned once. Down there in verse 12, where we're told that the ruler, Shalom, the ruler of half the district of Jerusalem, he repaired, he and his daughters. And God took note of that. Going back to the people of Tekoa, see what it says in verse 5. Next to them, the Tekoites repaired, but their nobles would not stoop to serve the Lord. Imagine having that said about you in God's word. They, they would not stoop. It doesn't say they wouldn't stoop to serve the Lord. But they would not stoop to serve their Lord. Which tells us that their, their disobedience was done on purpose. They thought the task, we might say, was below them. But in contrast to the nobles of Tekoa, the people of Tekoa didn't just work on one section, but they worked on two sections. Because there in verse 5, where the nobles refused to work, the Tekoites repaired. But then we go down to verse 27, we find that when they finished their previous section, they started working on another section. And they obviously didn't say to themselves, well, we've done our bit. We won't do anything else. There was still work to be done, so they did it. And so did the man called Merimoth, who's mentioned in verse 4 and verse 21. He did two sections. You can almost imagine him just finishing the first one and saying, what can I do now? And if you ask that question, there's always something to do. There's one more person to mention. I think he's very striking. He's mentioned in verse 14. I suppose if there was one place in the city where nobody wanted to work, it would be the Dung Gate. Who would want to work there? Well, we're told who wanted to work there. There in verse 14. And we can see who he is. Malkiah, 
the ruler of the district of Beth Hacharim. A ruler was willing to have the, what we could call the most uncongenial task in the city. He repaired the Dungate. So the people, I think they say a lot to us, don't they? They say a lot to us about those who did something and about those who refused to do something. And then there's priorities. The priority for some was they had to work on the bit beside their house. That was their responsibility. Strengthen the wall beside their house. It's not difficult to see what the application of that one is, is it? If one of them had refused to strengthen the bit of wall beside their house, they would have weakened the entire wall. There would just be one spot for people to get in, enemies to get in. That's all it required. It required a lot of people to put the wall up. It only required one person to make it weak. Of course, some didn't have a house on the wall. They came from outside it, and they had to be told where to work. And when they were given the spot to do it, they did it. We can see from the start of the account in verse 1 that they began with God's house. Because the first gate they did was the sheep gate. And it was called that because the sheep went through it on their way to sacrifice. Their first stage in their project was to put God's requirements first. And not only did they repair the gate, but we're told about this particular gate and the bit around it, a detail that's not mentioned but anywhere else in the city. And that is, they consecrated it. They had some kind of service to celebrate that they had started correctly. Put God first. And put him first. They finished it. And there's a very powerful lesson there. Progress. How long did it take them to build the city? Sorry, the wall. It doesn't tell us in this chapter, but it does tell us in Nehemiah chapter 6 and verse 15. This project that had been de- delayed for decades, it took these group of people 52 days. The work that people said could never be done. They did it. And the reason how they did it, they just did a bit at a time. And by doing a bit at a time, they finished the work. It didn't matter what, 
who was trying to stop them, they just did it. And because they did it, they completed it. And I suppose that the lesson that comes to us from that is that a man, Nehemiah, a man with a heart for the state of God's city, did it with God's help. And those who caught the vision that he had, they did it with God's help. Somebody once said to D.L. Moody, and I know we've got problems with his theology, but somebody once said to him, the world has yet to see what God can do through a man as totally dedicated to him. What did Moody say? He didn't say that sounds very nice. Instead he said, I'll be the man. A man with a heart for the state of God's city. Peculiarities. Well, there's something very peculiar about this. Because in subsequent chapters, we're told how they did it. And normally when we're given an account of what somebody does, or what people do, the names are mentioned after they've finished it. But here in this particular book, their names are mentioned before we're told how they did it. And surely, is God not indicating when you read Nehemiah chapter 4 and chapter 5, and chapter 6 recall the names in chapter 3 because they did it there's also something very striking about this chapter the man who did the most doesn't mention himself the man who did the most was Nehemiah And Nehemiah is not mentioned here. It's almost as if he's gone out of his way to hide himself. And it is the case, isn't it, that mentioning big names hides the contributions of hundreds of smaller names. We're kind of guilty of that, aren't we? Just take our own denomination. Who made it? And of course, the answer will come back immediately, won't it? Thomas Chalmers did it. Did he? Or was it People caught Chalmers' vision and did it. Nehemiah, he hid himself. So that's some features of the wall. Just some applications we can think about.
Well, the one we just mentioned is very important. The importance of humility. The Holy Spirit, in rebuilding the wall, used a humble man. A man who was quite willing not to be mentioned. We live in a day when the cool thing is to be mentioned. But God uses those who are not mentioned. That's the kind of mentioned earlier. Nehemiah is a human author here, but there's another author. And the other author, of course, is the Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit obviously wanted all subsequent readers of the Bible to read about these names in Nehemiah chapter 3. And as we look at the list of names, there's lots of obvious deductions we can make. One is, God knows the names of all who help him. Does God need help? Well, not in the sense that he's omnipotent. But what about God's plan? Implementing God's plan. Who does God want to do these details? Those who come. It's a very strange phrase, isn't it? The help of the Almighty. But it's in the Bible. And God knows the names of all who came to work on this project. If somebody had said to the emperor of Persia, who is helping Nehemiah? The emperor wouldn't have a clue. But God knew who was helping him. And he wrote the names down. God not only knows about it, as I just said, he writes it down. And God does that quite often, doesn't he? You ever wept for the city, state of the city? God puts his tears, our tears, in his bottle. These tears never evaporate. And his bottle, his bottle should be full. Malachi, people met to think about God and speak about him. And God wrote down that they did it. On the 4th of October, every year it was, so-and-so met in so-and-so's house and thought about the name of the Lord. It's written down in heaven. As I mentioned earlier, there in verse 5, God also records the names of those who did nothing. The nobles of Tekoa. Imagine their response being read by every single Bible reader there's ever been since then. They would not stoop to serve their Lord. Challenging, isn't it? 
when the great day comes, say this to myself, it's not just what we did, it's what we could have done. What we couldn't do will never be mentioned. But there are sins of omission. And they will be mentioned. God knows what we could have done. Another lesson we can take from this is that all the work was not done by one person. Nehemiah, well, his gifts were recognized by the emperor of Persia. But apart from planning the wall, what else did he do? It's not Nehemiah that built the wall, is it? There's all these others who did things, used their talents, their gifts, whatever they were. And because they all did it, the wall appeared. Another lesson we can learn from this, that each person must begin where they are. Is that not the case with those who had to build beside their houses? I don't know if you're like me, but I can imagine doing a great job somewhere else. That's not what God calls us to do, is it? He calls us to do it where we are. We can dream. Big dreams. But usually these dreams are somewhere else. It's where we are that we have to work. Just as these people in Nehemiah's time had to work beside where they lived. And that's really challenging, isn't it? Every person that took part in building the city, they've been given talents and gifts. And Paul makes it quite clear, as does Peter, that any person who's a Christian has got a gift. And they're given it, given it to be used for helping the growth of the city. Another lesson we can take from this wall is that God works through a united people. They all work together. Working together didn't mean they all worked in the same spot. But they all contributed to the same target. They worked together. Another lesson that comes from it, of course, is the importance of having a wall. In Nehemiah's time, the wall was there to give protection. Protection from enemies. And for ever a time where the city of God needed a wall of protection, is today. Because there's lots of danger. We've all heard the story of, it's probably not true, of course, 
but the fact that it's probably not true doesn't take away from the point of the man who went to a building site in London and asked the workers what they were doing. Three workers. First one, what are you doing? I'm making bricks day after day. Asked number two, what are you doing? I'm earning money day after day. He asked the third person, what are you doing? And he replied, I'm helping Sir Christopher Wren to build a big cathedral. It's all to do with perception, isn't it? What are we doing? Why go through things day after day? Why read the Bible? Why pray? Why a fellowship? All these means of grace. Why do we do them? Because the city of God grows through the means of grace. We're not helping Sir Christopher Wren. We're involved in the greatest building project that's going to last for eternity. And the last thing I can mention from the chapter is in the books of heaven what's written beside our names? It's a really important question. In the books of heaven What's written beside our names? Shall we pray? Lord, we give you thanks that Jesus is the master builder and he has given the plan. The plan has never been changed. It was set out long before the universe appeared. And in the mystery of it all, for the year 2022, in the town of Inverness, certain people were given roles, and that's where we are. Lord, it's good to read about Nehemiah and his men, and it's good to recognize that through your strength they did the impossible in 52 days. Lord, we confess that we haven't contributed what we should have done or what we could have done. But we give you thanks, Lord, that in your amazing plan you can use those who are unknown to do great things in your cause. So Lord, we pray that as we think about this list of names, 
names of people who perhaps we find hard to pronounce, that we would admire their commitment and their determination to get it done. So Lord, help us. Help us to imitate them because we're involved in a far bigger and a far more important wall than New Jerusalem. So Lord, help us, we pray, for your own name's sake. Amen. We'll sing from Psalm 119 in the Scottish Psalter. Uh, verses 57 to 60. The tune is Babel's streams. Thou my sure portion art alone, which I did choose, O Lord. I have resolved and said that I would keep thy holy word. 57 to 60. Thou my sure portion art alone, Father, and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with us all. Amen.